This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. So we are going to uh, turn to Matthew chapter 7. No, let's go to Matthew chapter 5 first. We are going to, uh, again, this last set of teachings, uh, we are going to end uh, with the Sermon on the Mount. We've been teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and we are coming to a close of this particular teaching. And so we want to uh, be sure that we understand some things. We want to go back into to just put us back in the mindset from last Wednesday and the, the Wednesdays before on, on, on what we are teaching and what, we're, what God is teaching, what Jesus is teaching about on the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount, again, it began here in chapter 5. And so we're going to, I'm not going to read all of this, of course, but uh, I just, again, want to put us in the mindset, just always being mindful. We should always be mindful of who is teaching here. In chapter 5, Matthew 5, starting at verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he, he being Jesus, went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came into him. And he opened his mouth. And taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Verse 6. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say, all manner of evil against you uh, falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward he goes on to tell us that we are the salt of the earth he tells us that we are the light and then he says many 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 more things about uh, our lives and, and how we should uh, have the char- have his character, have the righteousness of God, and have his character. Basically, all of this is is about having his character. We can see that laid out plain, plainly, that this is the character, this is the conduct of God, of Jesus. And so we we are to follow in that line, follow in that same pattern, follow in that same footsteps. So let's be mindful. So so in, so I'm sorry, Matthew. Chapter 7, in Matthew chapter 7, we're going to title this, The Summation of the Matter. Matthew chapter 7, The Summation of the Matter. So let's be mindful of the one who is teaching here. So we see here in chapter 5, we see that, that it is Jesus who is teaching, right? The one teaching is the one with great authority. This is the one that's teaching us. In, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus. This is the one with great authority. He is the Son of God. The Son of God. The one, He is the one and the only one unto where, uh, where God said, God the Father said unto Him, Thy throne, O God, forever, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, the scepter of thy kingdom. You see, the Son of God, he is the Son of God, but yet God the Father called him God. God the Father called him God, and he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. A scepter of righteousness. The scepter of thy kingdom. The one who is teaching here, he is the king of glory. He is the one that came down from heaven. The king of glory. He is the king of the kingdom of heaven. He says, your throne, O God. The God the Father telling him this, the Son. Your throne, O God. 
is forever and ever and ever a scepter of righteousness, the scepter of the kingdom. So he is the king, the king of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is teaching is the bread of life. The one teaching, he is the bread of life sent down from glory. He is the living truth. This is the one who is teaching us. He is the one that's teaching us. The one who is teaching was sent from the Father, being the brightness of his glory. Being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. This is the one who is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. The one upholding all things, the one teaching. He is the one upholding all things by the word of his power. Oh, catch that. That is so powerful. The one teaching here. The one expressing to us, letting us know how we should live. How we are going to, the things that we need to do. The character that we need to have. The conduct that we need to have to make it into his kingdom. He's, he, he is the one that's telling us this. He is the one that's telling us. The one who is the brightness of of the glory of the express image of the Father, upholding all things by the word of his power. He is the final word of the Father. He is the final word of the Father. The one teaching is the one who was sent to fulfill the law. He was sent. To fulfill the law. He was sent that we might be saved and might be saved from ourselves. Listen, as I'm going through this, I want you to keep in mind what we've read in Matthew chapter 5. The character, the conduct, the righteousness that we are to portray, the righteousness that we are to have. Keep that in mind. He was sent, the one teaching was sent that we might be saved from ourselves trapped and bound by the flesh to fulfill the lust that is contained therein. So think about, again, keep in mind, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are they that are meek. Think about those things in relation to your character and your conduct. And how being in your flesh... Walking according to your flesh, you don't fulfill anything that's in this law, in this commandment. Meekness, that is not a part of who you are regularly, naturally. That is not a part of who you are. You were not born with these characteristics. You were not born with those characteristics because you were born into sin. And because we were born into sin, these characteristics are not things that we just we would just naturally have and naturally do. We do not. But the one, the one who is teaching us this, he came that we might be saved from ourselves. <laughs> That's a good God. He came that we might be freed, not trapped by the flesh, not trapped by the lust that's contained in our flesh. But after he talked. After he taught, he fulfilled his very purpose for coming to the earth, clothed in humanity. He ascended and he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in each and every one of us, that we might live as he lived. He ascended. So not only is he the one teaching us, the very word, the very truth. He's not, not, only, not only did he come to fulfill his purpose of dying, that we might be able to kill the flesh, that no, we don't longer have to be bound to our flesh. He's the one that's teaching us. So not only did he do that, but he ascended on high, and then he sent the Holy Ghost to come and indwell us, that we might be able to fulfill the very word that he taught. What a good God. He left no stone unturned. No stone unturned. This is the God that is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. All power, all authority is in his hands. This is the one. He taught on managing our personal relationships. 
in Matthew chapter 5, uh, 5, 6, and 7. He's teaching on our personal relationships. He's teaching on giving to the poor. He's teaching on prayer. He's teaching on fasting. He's teaching on true treasure. And then, and, and, and remember what I said, he he led captivity captive. He gave, he gave gifts unto men. He gave his grace. He gave his spirit that lives on the inside of us to help bring his character and his conduct. And he said, with all of that, I need you to have the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes. I don't need you to live like the scribes. I don't need you to live like the Pharisees, living holy and righteous in your own, what you consider holy and righteous. I need you to live exceeding above that. I need you to exceed that type of righteousness. This is what he's telling us. This is what he's telling us throughout all of these scriptures. This is what, uh, throughout all the chapters, this is what he's telling us. And now, in chapter 7, in chapter 7, he goes back and he touches on another aspect of how we ought to deal with one another. So let's look at chapter 7. How we are to deal with one another. And then he teaches on prayer again. And then he reiterates, he's reiterating here the way. He's reiterating the way. What is the way? And there is only one way. And Jesus says in other scriptures, he says, Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. He says that. And so here in chapter 7, he's going to go through, he's going to tell us, reiterate, he's already, he's been telling us the way all, the, all this time. But he's going to reiterate the way by which we will enter the kingdom of heaven and the way we will, we will receive the blessings of the kingdom. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, he, told, he says, blessed are they, for they shall inherit. He's been telling us this all along. But he's going to go back and he's going to reiterate, he's going to sum it all up for us. He's going to sum it all up for us. So he is reiterating the way by which we will enter the kingdom of heaven and receive the blessings of the kingdom. The way is God's way. Remember that. Jesus is the way. And that is God's way. Not our own way. The way is a prescribed way, not a perceived way. Listen. The way is a prescribed way, not a perceived way. So you can't perceive the way you should go to inherit the kingdom of God. That's not yours. That is not yours to set the standard for. That's not, that's, your standard is not the standard for the way to the kingdom. It's not my way to the kingdom. It is God's way. It's Jesus' way. That is the prescribed way, not your perceived way. The way is not a way of popularity. It's not a way of popularity, but it is a way of necessity. So you can't, can't be popular. You're not going to be popular. But understand that popularity and necessity are two different things. It's not popular to be righteous, but it's needful. It's necessary that you're righteous. If you, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, it's a necessity. It's not a necessity to be meek. It's not a necessity. I mean, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's not popular. It's not popular to be uh, 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 meek. It's not popular to be humble. It's not popular to, to allow folks to talk about you. It's not for you to endure all of that. It's, that's not the popular way, but it's the necessary way. It's the necessary way. It is the way. To abundant and eternal life. Abundant life now and eternal life forever. So in other words, it would behoove us to listen with the intent to obey the one in authority who is giving the instruction and the guidance on the way into his kingdom. It would behoove us to listen with the intent to obey. Obeying fully. And conforming completely. And so here he, he is going to sum this up for us. Look at this Matthew chapter 7. 
the last chapter, the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, pertaining to the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is, that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Though, hip, thou, though hip, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn again and rend you. So we're going to stop there because we're, we're, we're embarking upon, upon trying to, 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 um, to teach these on these six, these six verses. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to try to get through these six verses tonight. So we're, we're going to stop there in our reading. So the first part of this is that God is dealing with our judgmental and our hypocritical attitudes. He's dealing with judgmental and he's dealing with hypocritical attitudes. And for those who don't know a whole lot about the Bible, for those who know very little about the Bible, this verse, this passage of scripture, verses one, verse one, really, it's a very misunderstood verse in the Bible. It's very, very misunderstood. They seem to think from this verse, they seem to think that Jesus is commanding acceptance of any and everything, of any lifestyle, of any teaching. They seem to think that, that this is what God is commanding. Judge not that ye be not judged. So they take that to mean that Jesus, after all, you said Jesus said it. So they're saying, they take that to mean that Jesus is saying, don't judge me. Don't judge me. We hear that all. We hear, that's become a very popular saying. Don't judge me. I, I've even heard a, I even heard a, a so-called Christian song that says, don't judge me. I get it, and we're going to see. I understand the concept of what they're saying. I understand the reason why they're saying it. But they're not getting what Jesus is saying here. They're not getting it. It's a very misunderstood scripture. Because obviously they hadn't gone down to verse 15. And we're just going to read that real quick. It says, verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. Verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. So it's telling us right here that we have to look at fruit. We have to look at fruit. So, so obviously God is not telling us, he, in verse 1, he's not telling us not to examine. He's not telling us not to assess what we see. He's not telling us that. He said, judge not that ye be not judged. So what does that mean exactly? Listen. Here's a natural, here's a natural example of this spiritual truth. When you go to the grocery store, or when you go, where, where I work, we have, we have uh, uh, fruit trees. And I like that we have oranges, well actually that orange tree is, the, they're dead, they've taken them away, but we have a pear tree, still have a pear tree. And so I would go and pick all the oranges, but I would look, I would examine those oranges on that tree. 
And I would stay away from the ones that were open. I stay away from the ones that did, just did not look right. I stayed away from the ones that didn't look right. And we do the same things when we go to the grocery store. When you pick fruit or you get your fruit from the grocery store, you look through them. You look through those grapes. You look through those strawberries. You look, you look through those things because why? You don't want to consume anything that don't look right. <laughs> you don't want to consume anything that don't look right, that don't smell right. You are examining the fruit before you consume it, before you partake of it. You are examining it. And we are to do the same thing. We are to examine the fruit that is shown. What we're not to do, what we're not to do is to judge the hearts of people, judge the motives of people. Because unless they tell you why they're doing something, you don't really know why. You can only assume why they're doing something. So we're not to judge their hearts. We're not to judge their motives. But we are to assess the fruit that they are bearing. We are to assess the fruit that they are bearing. Listen, as believers, we are called to unconditional love, not unconditional approval. We're called to unconditional love, not to unconditional approval. As parents... We love our children unconditionally, but that does not mean that we accept everything that they do. God loves us unconditionally, but that does not mean that he accepts everything that we do. Why do you think he taught so hard? Why? Because I'm not accepting everything that you do. I'm only accepting what I'm expecting, and I'm expecting what I am telling you to do. I'm expecting what's in the Word. So God is not, God does not, even God, God does not do that. So why do you think He wants us to do that? To accept any and everything that people do. Don't judge me. Don't judge them. Don't judge them. No, we're not going to judge. Number one, we have no heaven or hell to put anybody in, so we're not condemning anybody to anything. We don't do that. Because we don't have a heaven or a hell to put anybody in. Listen, and the word tells us that we shouldn't judge anything before it's time. Listen, we are all, we are all works in progress. You hear? We are all works in progress. So we're not going to judge anything before it's time because God makes everything beautiful in his time. Understand that he is working on all of us in some way, in some capacity. He is working on each and every one of us. So it's not that we are condemning. That is not what you should be doing. Oh, you're going to hell for that. That is not something for you to say. That's not something for you to say. We can tell them what's in the word, but we are not condemning anybody. So, while this commandment does not prohibit us from examining the lives of people, it certainly does set the tone for which we should be assessing the lives of people. The fruit that they're bearing. He sets a tone. He sets a standard here by the way we should be examining lives. Examining fruit. An examination of others, it must be done out of love for God and love for man. Why? Why? Because the motive, our motive for judging, our motive for assessing the fruit should be out of love. It should be out of love. Love for God and love for the Father. Because why? According to the greatest commandment, and the second being thereafter, according to the word, all the teachings of the Old Testament, all the teachings of the New Testament, all of those teachings are summed up in those two principles. To love the Lord your God with all, 
and to love your neighbor as yourself. So because that should be our, our motive. That should be our only motive. That should be our only motive for assessing, for assessing the lives of people, just like we should be assessing our own lives. <laughs> we should be assessing our lives. We, and we're going to get into that in just a minute, so you just hold on. So I know you like, you like to be able to hear, I, well, I can, you know, I can assess, I can assess, I can, I can judge the fruit, I can judge the fruit. Yeah, but you need to judge your fruit too. As a matter of fact, you're supposed to judge your fruit first before you start to assess anybody else's. God's commandment of loving Him with all your heart, with all, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that is the straight and the narrow way that leads to righteousness and that leads to life. Catch that. God's commandment, the greatest commandment of loving the Lord your God with all and loving your neighbor as yourself, all of that, all of that, every principle, every commandment that is tied into that, that is the straight and the narrow way that leads to righteousness. And it leads to life. So let's consider the tone. Let's consider the standard for judging, for assessing that Jesus is setting here. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. And keep your ribbon in Matthew 7 because we are definitely coming back to that. But Matthew chapter 26. Let's look at this example, we're going to follow this example and we're going to see the standard that God is commanding us to assess by. Matthew chapter 26, and let's start reading at verse 6. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon, uh, of Simon the, the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very, of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when the disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor, for ye have the poor always with you. But me ye have not always. For in that she poured, she hath poured this ointment on my body. She did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, whosoever, where, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. So we see here that the disciples, they had one examination, one judgment of her. But we see that Jesus had another. They had their own standard of how they were judging or assessing. But God has a total another way. Remember what I said. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. He is the standard. So they were judging rashly. What is rashly? What, what, what do you mean? They were judging rashly. They did not consider. They, you have to carefully consider, have a careful consideration of the possible consequences of your actions of your assessment of someone, of your judgment of someone. You have to have a careful consideration. You can't be rash in your consideration of what that kind of consequence that would have. That means, you know, sometimes we, we can, some of the, the very smallest, the very minute things, we want to judge people. Or we want to, we you know, assess them. We want to judge and we want to say, say this and that about what they're doing. Some of the very, it means, some of it just means nothing. It means nothing. And what was it to them what this woman was doing with Jesus? It wasn't theirs. That oil, that ointment, it wasn't theirs. 
So why were they even concerned about it to begin with? Our judgment, our examining of others, it should not be harsh. Meaning it shouldn't be unpleasant. It shouldn't be rough. We shouldn't be cruel with people. You shouldn't be cruel in your assessment. You shouldn't be harsh. You shouldn't be unpleasant. You, should be, you shouldn't be rough in your assessment. And you shouldn't be unjust, which is exactly what we're seeing here. You should not be unjust in your assessment. What is being unjust? It means it's not based on what is right or fair. It means you might be biased. You might be biased in how you're judged. You may be discriminatory in how you're judged. You may have, may not be, uh, 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 have equality in, in the way that you are judging. Unjust. You cannot be unjust in your assessment. So they thought this woman was being wasteful. That's what their assessment was. That she was, that they, that she was being wasteful. Because it says that, that the box, it had very precious ointment. Right? And so they said with indignation in verse 8, to what purpose? To what purpose is this waste? I mean, to what purpose? Why is she wasting this very precious ointment on his head? Why is she doing that? Unjust. Why? Because they were being discriminatory. Why? They had a bias. Their bias was the money. They had a, they did not consider why the purpose, they didn't consider that she had a purpose for doing. They didn't even consider the one she was doing it to. They didn't even consider that. The honor that she was placing on Jesus, they did not even consider the honor that she was placing on Jesus. That's how discriminatory they were. That's how unfair they were. Because they had their own bias about what, the, what should have been done with that. Their own thoughts, their own standard. They had their own standard. And, so, and, and we want to judge people by our standard. Instead of by the standard of God. We want to judge them by what we think. God says no. This is what he's talking about. Do not judge. You can't be unjust. You can't be biased. You can't be harsh. You can't be rash in your assessment of people. That was A. B. We should not think the worst of people. Remember, we're going through, we're looking at the standard, the tone that God is setting for assessing the lives of people. We should not think the worst of people. Again, it says, the scripture tells us to judge nothing before it's time. Judge nothing before it's time. We should not, we are all, we just, we, we are, we are, you know, especially, you know, sinners, you know, we can, you know, you know how, you know how we do. You know how we do. We think the worst, oh, they will never get right. Oh, they will never. Oh, they will never be right. Thinking the worst of people. <laughs> Listen, I, I hope, and I hope that, look, I hope that extended. We, we just had this, we just came off this, this, this mouth fast. And yeah, a lot of it was, 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 was speaking things about yourself, but, but I hope you extended that about speaking things about other people too. Put a, put a watch over your mouth. Because not only do you stop your own destiny, but you can also hinder the destiny of somebody else. With your words. We should not think the worst of people. Again, God is working on all of us and we are all a work. In Christ Jesus. We are all a work. We should not think the worst of people. We should not, let us see, we should not just point out the faults in others. Have you ever been around? I mean, that's all. It, it, they have nothing nice to say. They have nothing good to say about nothing. But you let it be something that's bad. You let it be something. They're going to be the first ones to speak up. It's always negativity, always out of their mouth. Always. 
just negative, just 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 negative, always pointing to the faults of every of everybody else. They want to point out everybody's faults, but never want to give a compliment when they do something right. Listen, listen, listen to this. You can tear down people with your words. You can build up people with your words. It's the same concept. Even with our children, even with our children, listen, because I know, even with our children, and they make us mad, so, you know, and it, it seems like some, sometimes in, in some, some seasons of, of life with our children, it seems like they're just always getting in trouble, right? It's, it's, they're always doing something, always, which is love, what your, your founding pastor said, nobody always doing nothing. They're not always. Now, it may seem like they is all, but it's not always. So you need to look for those opportunities. Look for those opportunities to tell them when they're doing something right. Look for those opportunities. You need to encourage those kinds of things. You know, I'm from the old school. We, we, used, to, we used to say, oh, she's just bad. Oh, he's just bad. Just bad. He's just bad. And then I've learned, I've learned, I believe I learned it in, in this minute. No, don't, don't call, don't, don't speak that. They're disobedient. Okay. They're not bad. They're no bad people. We have bad actions, but they're no bad people. Watch your words. Don't always look to point out the faults in others. And if you point out the faults, then you be sure that you also point out the good. What do we say? This is a motive. Our motive should be out of love. Love for God. And if we love God, then we're going to love what God loves. And he loves his people. And then we should, we should assess out of what? A love, not just for God. So we're going to give God all but out of the love for his people, to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you always point out your faults and never see the good, anything good that you do? Do you want that? Judge not that ye be not judged. The same measure you meet. You want to pour all of that out. You want to always find fault. You want to think the worst of people. Well, guess what? Somebody's going to think the worst of you. Somebody's going to always want to point out your faults. Do you want that? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read verse, start reading in verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 3. But with me, is that right? Am I right? Yes. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. Verse 4. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me, is the Lord. Verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. So here he's telling us, he's telling us, we should not judge the hidden motives of the heart. Letter D. We should not judge the hidden motives of the heart. The Lord and the Lord only is the sole decider and the adjudicator. He, he alone is the sole desire, uh, the sole, the sole decider of the motives of the heart. He alone can do that. He alone is the judge. Verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest 
the counsels of the heart. He will bring that. He will show. He will show the manifestations of the heart. He will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And he shall, and, and then shall every man have praise of God. God alone is the judge. He alone judges. Again, this is not about examining fruit. He's talking about judging. We should not judge, letter E. We should not judge others without first considering ourselves in their same circumstance. See, no, we're, we're good to say, oh, you know, if I, were the, if I were them, oh, I wouldn't have done that. If I was in that situation, oh, I wouldn't have done that. The scripture said, we should not judge others without first considering ourselves in their same circumstance. You don't know the, the, the shoes that somebody else is walking in. You don't know. You don't know why they do what they do. The scripture just told us that. You can see fruit, yes, but you don't know why they do what they do. You have no clue why they do what they do. It may not be right what they're doing, may not be right, but you don't know why they do what they do. Listen, I'm not condoning, I am not condoning, I am not condoning. Streetwalkers. I'm not condoning that. But you don't know the circumstances that they, that they have been putting in to do that. I'm not saying it's right. But if you don't have God, if you don't have another way, if you have not been taught another way, if you don't think there is another way, you do what you do to survive. Streetwalker. Prostitute. For those of you who don't know what a streetwalker is. A prostitute. I'm not condoning prostitution. I'm not saying that it's right. But until you have walked in their shoes, you have no idea why they do what they do. They don't have the hope that you have. (laughs) They don't have the God that you have. They may not even have family that you have. A lot of prostitutes, they start early because they're kicked out of the house, don't have anywhere to go. Their parents on drugs, so on and so forth. And that's, and that, all they need, all they know is I need to make some money. But judge nothing before it's time. Judge nothing before it's time. You need to consider the circumstance. Before you make harsh judgments. You need to consider. You don't know the motives. We, you, listen, you, you, act like, you act like they're just doing it for the fun. Most people, I'm telling you, most people that, that, that goes in the, in the prostitution, they're not doing it because they think it's fun. There are circumstances behind it. There are circumstances behind it. Letter F, we should not judge others without being mindful that we will also be judged. You should not judge. We should not judge others without being mindful that we will also be judged. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin. You know what? I can't do that. Verse 4. Verse 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. How did they know that? Now Moses, verse 5, 
Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Him questioning Jesus. Verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, they continued asking him, he lifted up himself. <laughs> you know what? That's just cold. They continued asking him. He was ignoring them. They didn't, they didn't catch a clue. He's like, look, some things don't even need, and some things, I, some things just don't even need addressing. And he was ignoring them, but they continued asking him. And he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. The eldest, because the eldest had done the most. He had more years. So he had done the most. But we see here, we should not judge others without being mindful that we also will be judged. What was their motive? What was their motive for bringing that? What was their motive for assessing that? What was their motive for judging her for that? What was their mo- Obviously, they were, not, they were not assessing, they were not judging based on love. Obviously, that was not the case. Why? Because where was the other person? She wasn't committing adultery by herself. Why bring her and not bring both? Why? They had a different standard. So, you know, it just makes me think, well, what was the standard? Is the woman, when there's an, when there's an affair, when there's adultery involved, is it the woman because she's the one that's, the, you know, the seducer? She, she's, is it always the case that she seduced him? Is that their, was, that, was that their thought? And if that's the case, they were judging by their own standard. What happened to the other person? I mean, I mean, I'm just guessing. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just letting my, my, my spiritual mind do some wondering. What, what was it? Why did they not bring both? Why did they just bring her? Judging by their own standard. Instead of God's standard. Letter G. We should judge others in the same manner and by the same standard in which we would like to be judged or examined. How do we want to be examined? How would we want to be judged? We want somebody to be generous with love. Love me through my thoughts. Love my thoughts. We want somebody to be generous with forgiveness. When we ask for forgiveness, we would like to receive. We're not asking just for no reason. We want to receive forgiveness. We want somebody to be generous with goodness. I just want you to be good to me. I mean, I know I, I, know I did you wrong. I know I did. I know I did. And I apologize for it. I, want, I need you to, I want you to, I need you to accept my apology. And then... I want you to be good to me. You know, let's you know, let's go out to lunch. Let's you know, let's put this behind us. You want them to be good to you. We want all of those things from God. We want all of those things from God. When we go to God, we want his goodness when we've done something wrong. We want him to forgive us when we've done something wrong. We want him to treat us. We want him to handle us with love and care when we have done something wrong. We want him to be merciful when we have done something wrong. All of those things. But I have a question for you. Because that's not always how we judge other people. Would you rather justice from God or would you rather mercy from God? 
So the same manner, the same thing that you want, that needs to be the same thing, the same, the same way you treat others and how you handle others. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. The same way. The same way that you want to be judged by God, you should want to, be, to assess and to judge others the same way. This is the standard. That is the tone that God is laying out. That is the standard for judgment, for assessing others. That is the judgment. That is the standard. That is the tone that God is setting. Yes, I need you to examine fruit, he says, but this is how I want you to do it. This is how I want you to do it. Verse 3 through 5. And while beholdest the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye, or how would thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine, thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So here, Jesus is telling us, he's, he's already showing, and this beam, you know, and this, this gets me. He says the moat. He says the moat. The moat, that's a very small, a very small thing. It's very small, very minute. Remember I said, sometimes we, pick, we nitpick the, just the, the smallest thing, but we got this big old beam in our eye. But we want to nitpick at somebody else's fault. We want to nitpick at somebody else's sins. Look at Matthew. Look at, turn over to, to chapter 5. Look at verse 20. 5 and 20. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, God is telling us how to get into the kingdom. The king is telling us. How to get into the kingdom. So Jesus is calling for righteousness that is greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, don't be hypocritical. Don't be a hypocrite. We must be fair in our judgment. So he's rebuking this way of thinking, this hypocritical way of thinking. For some, this way make themselves look better and more righteous and more holy in somebody else's sight. It's what they think. So they are more judgmental on others because it makes them look better. Judgmental. They're more critical. They're more judgmental and more critical of others because it makes them look better. You know, we can always point out, again, point out somebody else's faults and say what they're doing. So when you're pointing out somebody else's faults and saying what they're doing, that means you're not paying attention to your own. Because if you paid attention to your own, you wouldn't have time. You would be so ashamed about what you're doing, you wouldn't even have time to point out somebody else's faults and what they're doing. So we always, we try to make ourselves look better than what we really are. What is this way of thinking? What is this way of thinking? Turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. What is this way of thinking? What is this hypocritical way of thinking? Luke chapter 11. And let's read verse 37. Luke 11 verse 37 and 38. And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, Now, do you Pharisees make clean the outside 
of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness? Do you make clean the outside of the cup, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness? So he's saying you're making irrelevant things into something that is greater than what it really is. Making things greater than what they, what they really are. What else is this attitude? B, making your sin appear smaller than someone else's. Making your sin appear smaller than someone else's. Turn over to Luke 18, just a few pages over. Luke 18, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men or extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes. He goes on and on about what he's done. But here we see that he's trying to make himself appear better than someone else. Trying to make himself appear better than someone else. And you can see, in both of these cases, who were we dealing with? The Pharisee. Pharisee involved in both of these situations. What does the scripture tell us? Unless your way exceeds the way and the righteousness of the Pharisee, your way has to exceed, your righteousness has to exceed that way. You remember the Pharisees, the scribes, they were the church police. They want to police everybody else in the church. Want to police everybody else in the church, but not considering their own thoughts, their own ways. Our ways have to exceed that. Our righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. We try to make the outer man, what men see and what they witness, more important than the inner man. And that's not how God sees. Again, that's our standard. What do men see of me? What do men witness of me? That's our standard. But God does not see that way. He's not, he, don't, he can care less about what you're doing on the outside. If your inward man is not lining up with what you do on the outside, he can care less. It's nothing to him. Nothing to him. So we got to consider ourselves. Before you can try to take out the moat in somebody else's, you need to take out the beam in your own eye. We cannot be hypocritical in the application of the standard we use for ourselves versus the standard that we apply to somebody else. We have, a, we have a standard. We apply the standard to ourselves in one way, but we apply that same standard to others in a different way. We tend to be more tolerant. We tend to be more lenient. We tend to be more liberal when it comes to us. But then we tend to be more strict and more narrow-minded and more demanding when it comes to others of the same standard. You take one standard, you're going to be lenient with that standard. You're going to be legal with that standard when it comes to you. You can justify it. It's not that big. Oh, everything else you do, it kind of outweighs all of that. With that same standard, you apply it to somebody else and you want to be strict with it. You want to be narrow. Oh, no, they shouldn't have done that. I don't care. what that. No, no, no. That was just wrong. That was just wrong. The same standard. This is what he's talking about, about judging others. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.